welcome to Season 6 of Conversations with the Creators, where you'll hear from people who are inventing how we communicate in advertising, PR, media, and technology. This season's theme is Breaking Through, and we're talking to people who have taken Douglas MacArthur's famous quote to heart, you are remembered by the rules you break. Our first guest is Scott Peters, who is the founder of Assemble an agency that likes to create digital campaigns that test the limits of innovation. Professor Audrey Siegel spoke with him, and here's what he had to say. Hi, and welcome to another session of Conversations with the Creators. I'm Audrey Siegel, a professor with CCPS at St. John's University, and it is my great pleasure to um, bring to you today my friend, my colleague, uh, and a real leader in our industry, Scott Peters. Scott is the founder and CEO of Assemble, a digital production studio. He is an entrepreneur uh, with incredible passion, and you'll hear that come through in everything that we talk about today. Uh, he really focuses that passion, both personally and professionally, on creating change, uh, and fulfilling his vision of creating the best production agency, as he says, in the world, and providing solutions to those problems in the production area that just plague the advertising industry. So without further ado, I'm going to uh, ask Scott to um, welcome himself and tell us a little bit about him, kind of how he got to where he got, um, what's he doing exactly, and what makes him so passionate about production. Awesome, thank you. Appreciate uh, having me on and excited to share some, some thoughts. So um, I founded Assemble about four years ago uh, as a digital production studio that really services brands and agencies to help them with the mass volume of cre creative campaigns for in-market advertising assets. Uh, the belief of the company really stemmed from the fact that production could be done in a way that was both respectful to our clients and also respected the team that we worked with. The production space is oftentimes uh, a low commodity or seen as a, you know, a secondary team when in actuality, the production team is the one that really pulls uh, everything together from great campaign ideas. And it's actually where a lot of innovation happens within the advertising and marketing space. Uh, so the company's intention was really to come in and try to innovate and push forward production um, using best-in-class services, uh, automation, and, and uh, great client service. Uh, my background, I've always been in advertising uh, since I graduated uh, college. I've worked in uh, New York City, Washington, D.C., Boston, New Orleans within the advertising space, working on big and small clients. Um, so I bring a perspective to the table, having worked on huge $150 million accounts all the way down to, you know, very small $100,000 accounts. So, so much of what our podcast series is focused on uh, right now is about personalization, uh, taking kind of the sting out of automation and remembering that at its essence, advertising and communication is a human business. And uh, I've got a whole bunch of quotes from you. Uh, I do love to read what you say. And one of the things you said was personalization is the key when you're looking to promote your brand in a way that really resonates with individuals. So, you know, again, how do you do this? Uh, what What is it about um, the work that 
we do in the production area that really moves forward personal personalizing the content, personalizing the message? Sure. Yeah, I think over the past few years, there's been a huge shift in personalization of marketing assets, and that really is the access to data and the ability to now connect your marketing campaigns to data so that you know exactly the target that you're going after. And the beauty of personalization is the fact that it is obviously a stickier way to communicate with people in terms of the actual messaging, but it also helps brands move inventory. It helps messaging strategy. It helps uh, you uh, folks who actually connect to brands on a more intimate level, and which is why you're seeing more and more brands go down this sort of personalized route. And the shift is really the connection of technology, data, and the ability to strategize for strategists to actually understand how the ecosystem works. So, uh, you know, that just leads me right into kind of asking you to talk about what everybody is talking about, which is artificial intelligence, AI, as we so fondly call it, um, and its ability to kind of really on steroids move this personalization of communication forward. So can you talk a little bit maybe about kind of the process and where AI fits in uh, and then, you know, I'm going to ask you, you know, if AI is there, where are the humans? Yep, definitely. Yep. And that's been, a, I think, a huge concern for, you know, a lot of people in our industry and that what will AI do and, you know, will it will it take my job? So I think the first part of the AI question is knowing the difference between automation and AI. Automation is just literally putting in additional processes to pull uh, something forward. AI is really more where something's thinking on its own and crunching numbers. So when it comes to personalization and data, AI will be uh, a huge benefit because it's able to crunch lots and lots of information and process that and spit that out, you know, like an overproductive calculator or computer. Automation is understanding what processes you have internally and where can you get a couple wins to speed things up basically. And I think where the world is currently heading, obviously AI 10 years out, five years out will be a different story. It's iterating every day. Where we're at today and probably in the next couple of years is this combination of automation and AI. And the brands and agencies that are that are using both, that are marrying both, will probably be the mo most success, more successful organizations out there. AI will not... Uh, take away everybody's job. And I think that's the human touch and the part where people are a little bit concerned about, but I had a really interesting conversation with someone who's a leader in AI the other day. And what he said was in the advertising and marketing space, we're probably saving, AI eventually could save you 40% of your time or something along those lines. But within the, let's say the pharmaceutical space, when they're crunching numbers for drugs to, to find new drugs, it's 200 times faster. And that's where in an industry, it really becomes huge, transformative, uh, changes everything. 40%, 30% isn't going to revolutionize our industry. It's going to make us a bit quicker. So I think for folks who are concerned uh, you know, a big thing is it's really learning, you know, learning about the tools, but understanding that it probably is not going to take everybody's job away, that in our industry, you will always need human touch within the creative space. So there's something else that I, I uh, jotted down here, another quote of yours, um, which uh, I'd love for you to talk about in the context of 
the studio um, and, and you know, the work you do and how it's evolving. You said the studio is the canary in the canyon and it's singing a tune of transformation. So aside from being pure poetry, um, I, I'd love for you to talk about kind of this workflow revolution, the integration of technology and really as you see it, and you can talk about your company in particular, staffing for the future. I know that that for you, the quality of of work is important uh, for you and and for how it it, it gets played out uh, throughout your company. And so, I think that it would be really really valuable for our students to understand what a a leader, what an owner thinks about when when they are kind of running and and managing and nurturing a company staff? Sure. So on the first part of the studio being sort of the canary in the canyon, you, you know, the, the studio in, in essence really is the producer of the, the work, the mass volumes of work. And, and the reason that you get to see trends there quickly is because you're usually producing so much work. So if an economic downturn is coming, the studio will see that beforehand because all of a sudden there's less assets requested or there's an economic upturn and more assets are needed. Innovation always happens in the studio. And this is where a lot of agencies and companies get it, get it wrong. Innovation doesn't happen at the highest level on the strategic side because the, the tools need to be created to leverage that strategy. So a lot of folks uh, sort of misinterpret the studio as being this sort of place for grunt work and for just cranking out assets. So they go to the bot, you know, they go to places that may not be innovative. It needs to be the research and development arm of an organization. It's the people who are on the ground floor who are doing the work, playing with the tools, solving problems, and that's where an innovation happens. And so when the studio model, that's really where folks at the higher level should be watching what's happening, because that's really where uh, things are occurring and, and, and are, um, are not, not always being watched. When um, you talk about assets, I just want to get some clarification here. Um, you know, how many, what are we talking about in terms of, of numbers of um, iterations of an ad? You know, how many could there possibly be? Yep, that's a good question. So I was recently um, listening to the CM, CM, global CMO of Wendy's, and he said that a normal advertising campaign previously, right, and we're talking a year or two ago, so this is how quickly things are moving, would be around 1,000 assets. He said, today you need around 10,000. That's for one campaign. And if you remember years past, which some of your students probably don't, five campaign assets would have been a win or 25 campaigns. You're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of assets, all iterated, all personalized, all QA'd. And asset meaning video, email, banners, landing pages, websites, print, kiosks, all of that is now an asset of a marketing campaign and all should be viewed at as something that could potentially be personalized. So you're talking about a lot of assets at, in, at one time. Well, you certainly are. Um, so as as we, you know, hear you talk about the development of your company and and the importance of people who are on the kind of on the ground floor, people who have their hands on the the technology and on the assets. Um, I noted that your company, Assemble, has been named to the Inc. Magazine 5000 list of fastest growing companies. That's pretty good. And I applaud you for that. Can you talk a little bit about what's behind your growth and what keeps you moving forward? 
Sure. Yeah. You know, for us at Assemble, it's interesting because we're trying to change the tempo of the production world where production normally, again, as I mentioned, is looked at as kind of a secondary uh, spot within the advertising space. So our intention really comes from the people that are on our team. Uh, there's a belief system internally for us that everyone on the team should be able to work across different asset types. So you should be trained across the board. Our belief is that everyone on the team should constantly be learning. If you're sitting at a job or an employer and you're not learning and you're not given access to education to better yourself, then you might not be in the best spot for the future. So first is education for us, which leads to innovation, which naturally attracts talent of people who are inquisitive. And a lot of our interview questions when we talk to people are about what, what, are, what are you curious about? What do you push for? Do you ask a lot of questions? And I think you'll see culturally within Assemble and why we've been able to grow so fast. And growing fast can be a negative or a positive, right? Sometimes you can go too fast at something and you fall down. And sometimes speed is a good thing. But when you have the right culture and the company tr is treating the people in a respectful way, and then we're working with our clients to also treat us respectfully, it actually ends up being a really nice ecosystem to work in because the team's motivated, they're educated, the client has respect for what they're getting, and they see the quality and, and, and efficiencies in this sort of overarching um, ecosystem of trained individuals who have a passion for production. So speaking about culture, I know that uh, Assemble uh, operates in more than one country. Um, and I know that you are um, planning shortly to move your family out of Philadelphia, out of the United States and uh, to uh, Costa Rica, uh, where uh, a large part of your company is located. Can you talk a little bit about kind of that setup? What's going on in Costa Rica? Um, how does this help the company? Uh, how does this help the staff? And, and what are you hoping to uh, experience in this move? Yeah, sure. So uh, Assemble is what we would consider a nearshore model. So there's an offshore model and there's a nearshore model. Offshore models are production companies generally in India, Ukraine, Eastern Europe. Nearshore models, folks are in the same time zone as the US, Canada, uh, Mexico. So Assemble is a nearshore model, meaning we have offices in Philadelphia, in Costa Rica, and we have a team in Bogota, Colombia. The nearshore model allows you to be very competitive within North, within Canada and the United States in terms of pricing. So when you're working in production work, work, people are looking for inexpensive rates because you're creating so much volume of work. So the nearshore model for us works there because we're in Costa Rica, has many incredible, wonderful things outside of just beautiful waterfalls and uh, rainforests. Their culture actually there is, is embedded on education and actually innovation uh, and the way their society is sort of set up. They, they're, they're, they're able to take on work like this and do it at a really high quality. So the nearshore model allows us to, to function in a diff few different ways. It's saving costs and time, it's location and time zone, and it's ability to tap into an amazing team. What I think makes Assemble really uh, a little bit different is that we are... Um, hyper culture aware. 
Uh, and the reason being is when you're blending companies from different cultures, and this could be even different cultures within the United States, you know, Los Angeles might be different than New York, which is different than Austin, which is different Certainly. than Denver. Absolutely. Right? Different so is nine day. <laughs> everything. So it's really understanding everyone's culture and where people come from, and then respecting those cultures and then leading in a way that allows those cultures to come forward. And a lot of companies culture is pushed down and sort of vanillaized, I guess. It really becomes put, you know, a secondary thing where culture for us, we embrace. And we and that I think is a huge selling point for people who work for Assemble, but also for the clients that work with us because they see the diverse mindset of thinking. Uh, and again, I think that's where the nearshore model works. There's a, some people who sort of poo-poo the nearshore offshore model because they've had bad experiences. And my argument would, would be back to them, how culturally invested was that company? Were they I think just that's a great question. That's a great question. I think it's a great question for every company to ask itself and for every um, you know, prospective employee to ask of that company, how culturally invested are you? Exactly. And that goes down to everything to paying taxes locally, to managing holidays, to all these things. We at, we function as a local organization there. And, and that is says to everybody, we're in here. I'm, we're moving my family down there. And that's saying we're invested in you and the organization. So um, it's really, really cultural awareness, I think, is huge. Absolutely. So um, as our students... Uh, are preparing for internships and first steps as professionals, you know, they have a, a variety of, of burgeoning skills, um, but they may not be sure how to translate kind of their passion and their talent into a viable career path. And so you, you know, who, um, you know, have kind of explored a, a few paths uh, on your way to, um founding Assemble, which was their second company, actually, that, that you founded. Um, can you give them some advice? Um, talk a little bit about how to bridge the gap between creative passion and professional um, opportunity, and maybe some kind of tips and, and, and steps uh, on how they might get started. Sure. Yeah. I think the interesting part, especially for the generation coming up now, is the really understanding that your world has flattened. You now have the ability to, with the, with the way virtual work is going, to really connect with anybody on a global level. So I think the first thing you have to understand is that you're not stuck to the spot that you're in, that there is an entire world out there that you actually have access to. So first I would really sit back and say, okay, what where what, what interests me what uh what type of uh, job interests me what in the industry would interest me and you might have a list of 20 things i would take those 20 things and i would find multiple mentors i think what i did which was i think was interesting for me was i had mentors in all different areas and it's really because i never found one individual that i felt like oh wow i want to be this person when i grow up I found multiple mentors because I'm, you know, because we're all complex, mixed people and you don't ever want to be someone else who's already out there. You want to be you. So if you mix different mentors, I think is a great way to, to talk to people in an industry, in different industries to give you insight into what's going on. I think the second part is to try. You really have to experience things to know whether or not you're going to like them. And oftentimes it's fear that will stop you from moving forward. 
Uh, they're not going to like me. I might not get the job. I'm not smart enough. I didn't go to a really good school. I went to the best school. They're not going to you know, all, put all of that aside and just try it. And I think that, you know, there is nothing wrong with trying and failing. And I think a lot of times you're taught that failing is this terrible thing. I fail every single day, multiple times a day, thousands of times a year, and you pick yourself up and you keep moving forward. So I think for the students, it's global perspective, travel, travel, meet people, learn different languages. It's getting amazing mentors. And I mean mentors, meaning non-industry specific, all over the place mentors, and really trying and keeping an open mind, I think would be the thing that would lead you down a path of where you're supposed to kind of be heading in the long run um, would be my kind of, I guess, initial thinking. All right. Before I let you go, um, you know, you've got a lot of exciting things coming up. Um, but what are you most excited about when you think about, you know, near term, one, two, three years in our business? What is what's the thing that that really kind of shines brightly and and has you saying, you know, yeah. Yeah, we're going to we're going to do that. Hmm. I think I would break those up into professional and personal. I think sure. you know, professionally, I think we're at a really inflection point within our industry. And I think the Assemble is trying to position itself to lead into that next iteration of the world we're moving into. We're not afraid of it. So I'm excited to see what 2024 brings. I, I feel like it may be pretty, it may not be pretty, but if you're on the cutting edge of innovation and you're pushing forward and you have a deep belief system in what you're doing, I think a lot of success comes from that. So I'm curious to see, I would say for me, from a professional standpoint, it's really pushing assemble forward into the next level of, of things that we're, we're working on. And I think, uh, you know, personally, obviously moving my family to Costa Rica is a huge, uh, you know, step for uh, our family to ingrain ourselves in a culture that we love, but also for my two daughters to live in an environment where they're going to be super uncomfortable in terms of not speaking a language, going to school. And I, and I think giving gifts like that to people uh, is, is going to be amazing, I hope. Uh, and I, you know, for the good times and the bad times. So I think 2024 should be an, an interesting year and, and with not, not a lot, ton of expectation, just kind of roll through it. Well, I certainly am going to be uh, watching you in 2024. Um, you're one of my uh, one of my favorite people um, in this business, and and I've been I've been thrilled and blessed to uh, to get to know you. So I encourage everyone listening to connect with Scott Peters, founder and CEO of Assemble, and follow him along on his journey. Uh, and maybe um, maybe you can become part of that. Thank you, Appreciate Scott. Time. Thank you. Thanks. This has been Conversations with the Creators, sponsored by St. John's Master's Program in Integrated Advertising Communications. Thanks to all our guests, my colleagues Professor Audrey Siegel-Mavora, Kevin James, Christine Munk, and our producer Miriam Prever. Keep on ideating.